Why don't we pray? Um, Jesus, we just love you. We just love you. Thank you so much for being our Father, our faithful Father. You've been so utterly steady in the same direction of loving kindness, of compassion, of mercy, and grace, of healing and wholeness. You walk with us. You talk with us. You have a commission for us. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to live this life with you, and that it is a life that is eternal. Just open our hearts this afternoon. I need to tonight. Wrong end entirely. Yeah, just open our hearts this afternoon. Uh, We want to know you more, Jesus. We want to capture your heart. Uh, So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, rest on us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So today we are going to continue our uh, series on the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, We're going to look particularly at the bit where it talks about uh, treasures in heaven. But I just wanted to do a really quick recap, if that's okay, just to get us where we are, to kind of settle into where we are. Um, You may remember uh, we looked at chapter 5, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and a big part of what Jesus is doing, I think in the whole sermon, he's kind of circumnavigating this idea of righteousness. What does righteousness look like? This, do you remember the Greek, the, the, the dikaiosune? What does the dikaiosune kind of life look like? This eternal kind of life, this blessed kind of life, this righteous living, this whole living. What does it look like? And so in chapter 5, it's like he's painting a picture for us. This is a life that is blessed. Uh, this is the kind of life that makes you luminous, that you become like literally a light to the world. This is uh, the kind of life uh, that is fulfilled, that is, it's like humanity and divinity coming together into this whole and complete thing. This is the kind of life that is rooted actually in the heart. That he's, he's looking at these kind of bigger things, but he's also putting at the heart of the matter. So it's not just to, that we're not going around killing people, although that's probably a good, you know, don't do that because it's mean. Um, but it, he's also like saying, go to the heart of it. What does it look like for you to deal with the anger within you that would make you want to murder somebody in the first place? He's not saying, don't just hold on to fidelity, but actually be intentional about what you're looking at and the things that you cast your eyes upon. Be intentional about holding every thought captive so you don't even get to the point of wanting to to do that stuff. He's he's saying, don't just avoid divorce, but be intentional about doing the other stuff, dealing with your anger, dealing with the lust, going to the heart of the matter so so that you can... Deal with the stuff that if you allow it to be seeded in you, actually grows to the point where it has the potential to destroy marriages. Um, You know, this kind of eternal life is the kind of thing that means you're so secure in who you are and what you're doing that you don't need to manipulate anybody. That your yes can be yes and your no can be no. And you don't even feel the need to vindicate yourself. But we get to turn the other cheek. We even get to show love and empathy and compassion to our enemies. How cool is that? Look at this, right? This dikaiosune, this eternal kind of whole fulfilled life. So that was chapter five. Um, but then what I, um, where we're now looking at now, sorry. I'm just getting myself, I'm just gathering myself together a little bit. It'll happen in a minute. And everything will, oh, he's done it, he's there. Um, we're now in chapter six and we're asking the broader question like, what is driving you? What's the motivating force behind you? And um, uh, I love how uh, I love how John uh, 
took us through what it looks like to, to, to give to the poor, what it looks like to kind of lean into rhythms of prayer. I just thought his kind of practical application at the end of that, do you remember, was just phenomenal. And then together as a church community, being able to gather around and step into, like physically step into the Lord's Prayer last week and what it was like for us to be in a mosh pit next door in the other room, just kind of going for it in worship at the end, declaring who he is and what he's done. He's, he's, he's hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Come on, God. Um, and where we, get in, where we got to today is we're going to be looking at that thing of uh, what it looks like to, uh, to make treasure to, in heaven. Um, one of the things that you'll notice Jesus doing in, in, in chapter 6 is Dallas Willard decri- describes it as this idea of a comparative to Kaiosune. And so it's not that, but it is this. It's kind of what he's doing. I don't know if you've ever... Um, asked a young person to tidy their room. <laughs> Some knowing giggles in the congregation right now. I, when, I, when, I, when I do that, when I ask my kids, okay, kids, t- time to tidy your room. We need to get, get your room tidy. I've got a vision. This is discipleship that's happening right now. I've got a vision in my heart. I'm like, I imagine walking into their room in an hour's time. And it's like a smell of fresh lavender just wafts on my face. And, you know, it's like Maria Kondo has literally kicked the crap out of the room. And it's like everything is like minimalist and perfect. And I'm carrying this, what, it's, like, it's, a, it's like a vision of heaven in my heart for my child's room. And what I've realized is just to say, oh, can you tidy the room? What, what, what my kids here are like, oh, there's another optional request for my parents. <laughs> and they just like, they think, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll half fold my hoodie or get distracted. Draw a picture, watch some Netflix, and then wonder why my parents are so indignant about the state of my room an hour and a half later when I've done nothing. And it's, what I've learned is, as a parent, is that we need to paint it done. We need to give them a picture of what it looks like finished. We need, I need to go and look at the floor, nothing else but carpet. You know, the clothes in the wash bin or in your wardrobe, there's no floor drobe here. And, you know, to go around, like, you know, all of the cups and all the plates that you've hoarded from the kitchen which is why I can never find a bowl for my cereal it's like they need to be stacked up and taken downstairs and put in the dishwasher you know you've got to paint it done and this is what Jesus is doing for us in the whole of chapter six is that he's he's painting a picture of what this righteous kind of living really looks like complete he's not just gets to the end of chapter five where he says do you know what guys be perfect and crack on he's thankfully he he, he parents us a little bit more than that, and, he, and he's like, I'm gonna, I want to share with you what this actually looks like. Um, so why don't we read the Bible, which is always lovely, and, um, and we'll get to it. One second. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6, verse, from verse 19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Because no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
So if it's cool, we're going to go backwards through that um, little bit of scripture. We're going to start with looking at uh, the idea that we can't serve two masters. We're going to look at how the eye is the lamp to the body. And then we're going to finish with what it means to store treasures in heaven. Is that okay? It's like an inversion. Why not? Um, good. Who likes football? Yeah, nice. I need, I, need th- I need three people to help me. Is that okay? Can I get three volunteers? I don't know where they've gone. Oh, yeah. This is, this is my football. I don't know what this says about me. It's pink and it's flat. Um, that sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> um, right, I, need, I do need some help. If you're not going to volunteer, I'm going to ask you to do it. Yes. Go on, Ralph. Can you pull that apart? Thanks. So they're a bit, they're a bit mucky. Right? Can you can um, can make a goal over there? That'd be when you can get it apart. They're like suction together, and then a goal over here on this side. So Ralph, you can, yeah, you can do that there. Just a post, yeah. He's so strong, Ralph. <laughs> Come on, squeeze it. Don't worry. Use, a bo- use Lucy's water bottle, that's fine. Okay, so we're going to use my lovely pink, pink ball um, over this side. Um, I'm just going to move this out of the way as well. These things always never quite... <laughs> they always seem like a good idea. And, uh, <laughs> and then you realise it wasn't. Okay, good. I'm so awful at football. That's a ball. Um, right, um, one of you guys want to be the goalie over there? Brilliant. Right, okay, this is, you're just going to help me, like, make a little point. <laughs> um, don't squeeze too much. Um, so all I want you to do is score a goal in that goal over there for me. Okay. And then Ralph's, you're not really the goalie. All you need to do is catch the ball and then roll it back to the middle. Hey! That is superb. Right, turn around and do that one in there, please. I'd have done that and it'd gone over there like that. That's brilliant. Okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to put the ball in both nets at the same time. Okay, Um, should we make it easier? Why don't we get these nets and bring them over? I'm just going to run and dance. (laughs) Hey! Then put this one over here. Right, now they're next to each other. Can you get that ball into both nets at the same time? Ah, oh, it's close, but no. Give these guys a round of applause. Thank you very much. You just can't do it, can you? I know it's a bit rubbish, but I just wanted to, I wanted to show you. You can't put one football into two different nets at the same time. Because it's two nets, it's one ball. You've got to choose. You've got to make a choice about where it goes. You've got a choice about where you're going to place it. Um, Dallas Willard, you're always going to hear so much about it in this, in this series, aren't you? He says, we simply cannot have two ultimate goals or points of reference for our actions. We simply cannot have two ultimate goals or points of reference for our actions. And if you're pursuing one thing, you can't then pursue the other. And it's not that everything is bad. You know, Jesus is using the example specifically about money in this, but as we know, money isn't evil of itself. This is um, an issue 
of whether or not we possess money or money possesses us. You know, there's a huge difference between money being our servant and money being our master. Because it's not just about the object. It's not just about the object that is our treasure. Okay? The issue is, when we treasure something, we can't help but serve our treasures. This act of treasuring is our act of worship. In some ways, it's really quite simple. We either treasure Jesus or we treasure something else, but we can't do both. And so we, we have to, I think like every day, really, this, is like, this isn't like, you're not going to nail it today for the rest of your life. It's like every day is the rhythm of choosing, is the rhythm of intentionality. Do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point that way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point to Jesus. I'm going to put my intentionality on my heart and my soul, my mind and my strength, and I'm going to lean it into Jesus. Um, again, Dallas Willard says this, and we'll read this one twice, so just a little spoiler for the end. Um, it says, the most important commandment of the Judeo-Christian tradition is to treasure God and his realm more than anything else. That is what it means to love God with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means to treasure him, to hold him as dear, and to protect and aid him in his purposes. Our only wisdom, safety, and fulfillment lies in so treasuring God. Then we will also treasure our neighbors rightly as he treasures them. Simple, right? <laughs> you know, just treasure Jesus. It's that, you know, done, tick. Um, man, if you're anything like me, it's just not that simple, is it? I am so, so influenced by new shiny things. It's like, seriously, station me in man bags, particularly... <laughs> Particularly practical man bags that has like just the right space for the thing that you want to put in it. I'm like, that's oh, so good. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what it is for you, but that's 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 my little thing. But it's it's more than that, actually, isn't it? It's it's the it's the it's the belief in the lie that hey, if this isn't comfortable, if this isn't convenient, if this doesn't benefit me, then it, if this requires some kind of sacrifice, then hey, that can't be Jesus. Hey. He loves me for a Sunday. You know, he's not going to put me through anything. But that's actually not how it is. You know, it's been said that nobody's ever seen a motive, but our motives are the driving force behind everything that we do. One of the most important revealing questions we can ask ourselves is, what do I actually want? What do I really want? Yeah? And I think the other thing that's important about that question is that we continue to keep asking it because the answer often will change depending on the moment that we're in. You know, we're in, a, we're in a, an environment like, like now. It's like, oh, what do you want, guys? I just want to serve the purposes of God, oh, you know? And, you know? and then when the worship's like particularly flipping awesome, you're like, I just, just want to know. And I might even say, I want to share in his sufferings, you know? Anyone feel like that? But then fast forward for tomorrow when you're being ignored or you feel a bit rejected or you're stressing about money or... You know, you, 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 your car breaks down or something happens. Like, what do you really want? What do you really want? When you see somebody advance ahead of you, what do you, what do you really want? What do you really want? According to psychology, there are, psychology, that broad term, there are five, there's not a guy called psychology, I don't think, Jeff, psychology. Um, there are five fundamental human motives um, these driving forces behind our feelings, our mindsets, and our behaviors. One is the desire to be accepted. Two is the desire, <laughs> the desire to belong to a group. 
Three is the desire to affect influence. Four is the desire to avoid threat. And five is the desire for intimacy. Now the thing is, Jesus wants these things for you because that's how he's formed you to be. He, he, wants, you to have, he wants you to know what it is to be accepted, to belong to something, to, to be able to affect influence, to not be under threat, and to have intimacy. That's what he wants. But one of the issues is the condition of our sin deforms us. The condition of our sin deforms us. You know, we have been designed and we've been formed to be image bearers. That's why there's not a little man in the temple made out of wood. Hello. He's not there because it's us. We represent who he is. We are the walking, talking embodiment of the Father to represent him in the earth. We're his image bearers. But the problem is our sin deforms us. Have you ever, and this might be just talking to the guys, but have you ever had that thing where you, you're looking everywhere for a screwdriver and you cannot find one? So what do you do? You get the knife out of the, the cutlery drawer, don't you? <laughs> like that. What happens to the knife? It twists, doesn't it? And it gets all mashed up on the end and you're like, oh, and then you put it back and hope your wife doesn't see it. I've never done that. Um, <laughs> and... But the problem is, it's the reason the knife gets all twisted up is because it's being used for a purpose that it wasn't designed for. It's being used for a purpose that it wasn't designed for. So our sin deforms us because we're focusing our heart, soul, mind, and strength on something that we just weren't designed for. And in that deformed state, the enemy wants to conform us to a version of living that doesn't include Jesus. Was to conform us to the pattern of a broken world, leaving a vacuum that actually only Jesus can fill. You know, the enemy wants us to experience the disconnect of the last couple of years. He wants us to be constantly paranoid about the invisible, indiscriminate threat of COVID. He wants us to experience the smothering blanket that has been placed over freedom and liberty. The enemy wants us to think that world leaders can build a wall, have a party. Invade a nation without accountability or consequence. He wants us to feel like there's a leak in the bucket, like there's a crack in the safe, like there's a, a villain skulking in the bushes waiting to attack. He wants us to be conformed to a culture of anxiety that means that what is fundamentally motivating us actually is fear. So the desire to be accepted becomes fear of man and people-pleasing. The desire to belong to a group means that we're afraid that we don't fit in and we lean into tribalism and the fear of isolation, compromise and syncretism. The fear, um, the, the desire to affect influence makes us fear powerlessness and it evokes the desire to want to control others. The desire to avoid th threat becomes the fear that we can't control the world around us, which actually we can't. And the desire for intimacy becomes a fear of loneliness and the over-sexualization of our society. To live from a place of fear results in us treasuring and longing for anything that we think will fill the vacuum. And literally, we spend ourselves on our anxieties. It's fundamentally the heart of the orphan spirit. So let's quickly look at the idea that the 
eye is the lamp to the body. Um, the message version says this, your eyes are like windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. That's nice. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. And what we spend time looking at is super important. It's a key part of our treasuring. Now, tell me this. Have you ever not been able to take your eyes off somebody? way Hello, Vicar. <laughs> that's a mate. Ooh. Let's chat later. No, I'm joking. I'm married. Sorry. Taken. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh, I feel a bit blushed. Um, stop it. Um, there's a Harvard psychologist called Zick Rubin who did an experiment with couples who've been together a long time to see how much they looked at each other while they talked to one another. And what he found was that couples that rated highly on the love scale, I don't know what this scale is or where you get one, but apparently there's a love scale, and the couples that rated highly on the love scale looked at each other more than 75% of the time when they talked to one another. Whereas, I know. Um, whereas, <laughs> I need to say something inappropriate. Whereas, um, <laughs> whereas couples that scored lower on the scale looked at each other on average between 30 and 60% of the time. So when you love somebody, they capture your attention. They capture your focus, and you can't take your eyes off them. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? What is it that captures your attention? What is your gaze fixed upon? I mean, this is a whole other talk, so I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> you would please know. But in Genesis 13, it talks about how Abraham pitched his tent towards the promises. He, put, he pitched his tent towards the land that God had given him. Whereas Lot, where did he pitch his tent? Towards Sodom. He pitched his tent towards Sodom and was taken over in the point where Abraham had to go and rescue him. We've got to understand where we're pitching our tent towards. We've got to understand where our focus is, where our attention is placed upon, where our affection lies. Because whichever one it is, it will take us over. What are you becoming? You know, when you hang out with somebody a lot that you like, you actually start to mirror them if you come across this, this idea. Um, we mimic their body language and behaviors. It's, it's actually a sign of empathy. It's a key sign of empathy. It's things like, you know, saying something interesting. And you're like, oh, yeah, Andy, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Or like crossing your legs in front of somebody and then they cross their legs and all that kind of stuff. It's even something like laughing. Like, have you ever been in that place where you, just, so you walk in a room and someone's laughing really hard? And you just start laughing. And then, laugh. <laughs> it's kind of like, what? You know what I mean? Like, you don't even know why you're laughing. You're just laughing. Do you know what I mean? And it's because you're mirroring. So you're connecting with that person and you're drawing empathy in the moment and you're catching it. You're catching who they are and what's going on. As we focus on our attention on somebody, you build a connection and you start to feel what they feel. What you look at, you imitate. What you behold, you become. So if our sin deforms us, without Christ we get sucked into the void of conformity to a broken world. But with Christ we are transformed. 
as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the complete finisher of our faith, we become like him. We become reformed into the image bearers that we were actually designed to be. 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3, 17 to 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Yeah. Woo! And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, we gaze upon, we look upon, we get the eye contact with the Lord and his glory, and we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How cool is that? So let us fix our eyes upon him. Let the windows of our soul be wide open to who he is and what he's doing. Final thing, we're nearly there. You guys are doing amazing. Um, what does it mean for us to store up treasure in heaven? As an old dude, well, he's pretty old, I think he's dead, a guy called C.T. Studd, who was a cricketer for England. He was a missionary to China in 1885. I think he was like, he came just after J. Hudson Taylor. I think as J. Hudson Taylor was like heading home. He packed up his belongings into a coffin and off he went. I think it would be like a few of his mates went off to go and be a missionary in China. And he wrote a really famous little poem. I just want to read the last. And the last um, verse of that poem says this. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. God, come on, every day, I just want to be more and more sold out for you. Every piece of my heart, because Jesus is the pearl of great price. It's all for him. He is our greatest treasure. That we would say yes to him every day. Yes to him every day. Every day fixing our eyes upon him. Yes to him and what he's doing that we would act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with him, honoring the poor, praying for the sick, even reducing our carbon footprint. This is all part of the eternal living. Galatians 6, 8 to 9 says, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know when you, you break something or like you write your car off and all that kind of stuff and you're telling your mate about it. It's really bad because like I can't you know, go to the shops and stay. Oh, you know, kind of thing. And, and you see your friend and they, they're kind of, their head tilts and their shoulders come up and you think you're going to get some kind of empathy from them. And then they say, can't take it with you. And you think, great, I'm going to punch you in the neck now. Is that okay? Um, it's really annoying, isn't it? It's just like, come on. you know. And uh, It's basically just a severe lack of empathy. I don't know if I've just got bad friends, but that's kind of... <laughs> I'm joking. All my friends are awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, but I want us to be able to answer the question, what is it we can actually take with us? What can we actually take with us? What can we store up in heaven? I just want to go back to what Dallas said. said. The most important commandment of the Judeo-Christian tradition is to treasure God and his realm more than anything else. 
This is what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means to treasure him, to hold him as dear, and to protect and aid him in his purposes. Our only wisdom, safety, and fulfillment lies in so treasuring God. And here's the bit. Then we will also treasure our neighbors rightly as he treasures them. It's crazy, but it's simple. The only thing we can take with us is others. The only thing we can take with us is others. It's the only thing. Robert Mulholland says, formation is being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's how the Bible describes it. Like this son of man who did not come to serve but be. No. Son of man who didn't come to be served, nearly, but came to serve and gave himself as a ransom for others. Deuteronomy 32 verse 9 says, the Lord's portion is his people. He's coming after us. He wants us. He desires us. Rick Warren says that the only way that you store up treasure in heaven is by investing in getting people there. Now, this isn't a message for the evangelist, actually. Don't don't check out. This is the message for the disciple. Because by far the worst strategy that we could ever put into action for reaching a broken world for Christ is big church. By far. Even if we hired and filled the biggest venue in Manchester, the Manchester Arena, we would have 21,000 people crammed in there. But there would be 2,729,000 people banging at the door. It doesn't work. There's not enough space. There's not enough room to try and squidge everybody together into one big thing. And the ratio of one platform to 21,000 people, it just doesn't speak to me of the body of Christ, of everybody playing their part, everybody involved, everybody empowered, everybody released. It doesn't speak of that. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. I know you'd be surprised about this, but do you know what the most effective way that we can reach a broken world for Christ is by doing what he said in Matthew 28, and it's that disciples would make disciples. It's like, duh, he told us ages ago. And we've been trying all this other stuff, but he told us, go and make disciples. For people that are genuinely following Jesus to authentically love another human being and say, hey, walk with me. Walk with me. The greatest treasure you could ever know is this way. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. What would it look like for us to be one and make one? To be a disciple that makes a disciple. Like, Don't misunderstand me because I know we have been through and are going through some really tough stuff and I, we can't afford to be tone deaf to the pain, to the loss and to the grief. But I think we, equally we cannot be blind to the vision that Christ has set before us either. And there might be some people who are like, I just can't imagine what it is to do anything other than just be still right now. But at the same time, I'm sure there's other people like, I I just want to run and crack on with it. I wonder what it would look like just for us to walk together with him, to take his hand, let him lead us, just each day to take another step. What if he does what he says he's going to do? What if he brings us comfort? What if he gives us beauty for ashes and joy for our mourning? What if we get to praise instead of despair? 
What if we get to rebuild ancient ruins and restore the devastated streets? Instead of shame, we get a double portion. Instead of disgrace, an inheritance. Isaiah 49 says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel whom I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. It's not enough for us just to look after ourselves. It's too small a thing. He's making us a light so that his salvation can reach the ends of the earth. So why doesn't the band come up? I want us to have a practical, practical outworking of this, if that's okay. You've all got these little cards on your chairs. Um, and I know we've done stuff like this before. And uh, I know it's pretty cheesy, but I kind of don't care. <laughs> because if one person discovers Christ from the result of just one piece of intentionality, then it's worth it, isn't it? Isn't it? Yep, 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 yep. So I just want to talk you through this. Um, <clears throat> I really, I'm, I'm really sold on this idea of be one, make one. I think um, it is by far the most strategic and biblical posture of mission that we can possibly take. Because it speaks to our discipleship, our, our rhythm, our listening to him, our response to him, our, our obedience to him the pattern of our life, the rhythm of our life, to not be conformed to the broken world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would attest and, 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 and recognize him in the earth. That's what, that's what a spiritual act of sacrifice looks like. A life of sacrifice, that's what it looks like. And if I said to you, who, who, who in your life is the one person you're like, ah, oh, they just need Jesus? I'm pretty sure that every single one of you will be able to speak that name in your mind right now. Every single one of you. And it might be more than one, and that's okay. You can have as many as you want, but at least one. And so name the person that you want to pray for, that you want to lean into. Name that person, and you can use this little card to write their name on the top of, on the, top of the blank space there. And then, even just for this week, just to see what Jesus does with this. Find a space every day to lean into this process. And the process is this, to remember how God has loved you. You've all got a story. We've all got a story. We've all been forgiven. We've all been radically loved, covered by his grace. You know, this isn't something that we do out of duty. Don't do it if you think, oh, I should do this because I'm a Christian. Rediscover that love, that connection, that, the impetus of his grace flowing through your life, the way that he has opened doors for you, the way that he has been your advance, your, your cover, your rear guard, the way that he has looked after you. I love Acts 4.20 where it says, as for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. Let that be the tone of our, of our witness. I can't help it. I can't help tell you about what God's been doing this week. Ask for opportunities to share the love of Jesus with them. You know, evangelists, you'll probably make those opportunities happen, which is awesome. But the rest of us, 
To pray that God would create opportunities for us to share his love with people is not a prayer that he's going to be like, what, really? He'll be well chuffed to answer that prayer. He'll be well chuffed to answer that prayer. Oh, I missed one out. Look for the opportunities to love them. (laughs) Sorry. Um, It's so important not to have an agenda in the way that we do this. I remember me and Lucy, we spent 10 years on Eden just sharing life with people, having people in our homes, people that traffic guns and drugs and all kinds of stuff coming in and having the munchies knocking on my door at 2 o'clock in the morning because they were hungry because they'd been smoking weed all night or whatever it was. And the consistency of day in, day out, loving and walking alongside them. I believe that was one of the biggest missional things we did was just being present for them. In and through their mess, in and through the things that they celebrate. If we can be present for people, laugh with them, mourn with them. It's one of the most beautiful and powerful things that we can do. So let's see what Jesus does with this. Is that okay? Imagine walking through the concourse of heaven and multitudes of people thanking and being thanked. Imagine the people coming up to you and say, thank you. Because you prayed for me, I'm here. Because you love me, because you welcomed me into your home, I'm here. Because you fed me when I was hungry, I found Jesus. Because you told me your story, Genuinely, don't be put off by this. One of the most beautiful and powerful things we can do is to be curious with people. Just pray for them. Just be like, okay, Jesus, what are you doing? Ask them their story. Find out about who they are. Keep asking them questions. At some point, there'll be a moment where you go, well, hey, can I pray about that? God's really good at answering prayers. We've been, I remember me and Lucy sitting in, in the car with, I don't even say this, a couple of lesbians who were stressed out and on anti-anxiety meds and all kinds of stuff and just praying with them, the peace of God just fell. The peace of God just landed in the car and then the rhymes. Yeah, a couple of weeks later, we've not been taking our medication. Something's changed, something's shifted. Just pray for them. People who prayed for and like, back's been healed or their eyes have opened up or just something's happened like God is real I remember praying for a gangster and his twisted ankle just instantly getting healed and he was there with his kind of Fanta going what just happened what just happened like freaking out spilling cat Fanta all in my kitchen because God had just healed his, his, his ankle just people are well up for being prayed for so yeah sorry I'll tell you more things um, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, but where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me stand. And just two quick things as we worship. I think God just wants to give us his heart. He wants to break our hearts with the things that break his heart. And then the other thing is, um, I think if the person that was your first, your first name that you thought of 
was a member of your family, I just want to say God can do it because they're often the hardest people to imagine sharing the love of Christ with because they know all our stuff, you know? But God is going to do it. God is going to break in. God is going to be carried on our kindness and our presence, on our love, on our curiosity. And so I don't know how to do it, but if you wanted, if you wanted, if you're like, oh gosh, yeah, that's right, then come down and we'll, we'll pray and stuff, and God will do some really cool stuff. But otherwise, let's lean into worship and let's ask Him to, to catch His heart. And um, we'll keep asking you how you're getting on. And keep telling you how we're getting on and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. We just pray for that loosening, that movement again. Atrophy would be gone. Pray that your river would flow through this place. That we'd be caught up in it. Where we feel ankle deep or knee deep. But God, I pray we'll just keep running into your presence. Keep running into your flow. Jesus, we get carried on by you. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.